All right, raise your hand if you can't stand getting sick during this time of the year. Anybody? Any time of the year? <laughs> so our daughters came home from winter break from school, and I can't stand, I don't like getting sick. I, I generally run really healthy, and so I was sharing a drink with Corinne, who didn't tell me that she was sick, passed it on to me. Um, have a bunch of us been infected by something already in 2020? This is a new, new year, but yeah, Bob. <laughs> Bob's like double hand waving. Um, well, I'm reading this Pulitzer Prize winning history book. It's called Guns, Germs, the Operative Word, and Steel, The Fate of Human Societies. And in it, I've been learning about the impact of germs on world history, okay? Um, and I have been more than a little surprised at how much germs have impacted history. The major killers of recent history are almost all infectious diseases that come from domesticated animals. Smallpox, the flu, tuberculosis, malaria, the plague, measles, and cholera, all from um, domesticated animals. And so what historians are looking at, they point out that these diseases are not only some of the biggest killers, but some of the biggest shapers of history. And so I was surprised by this. I was a history major, right? This isn't something I'd ever looked at before. And so they list a couple of the, like, there's positives and negatives here, um, but they list some of the grimmest examples um, that can be seen in the, Euro uh, the European conquest of the Americas, okay? So as numerous as the Native American victims were of the Spanish conquistadoras, they're nothing compared to the victims that were wiped out by Spanish germs. 95% of the Aztecs of Mexico wiped out, allowing Cortez to conquer them for Spain. Germs also played a huge role in allowing Pizarro to conquer the world's largest empire at the time, the Incas, with only 168 soldiers. It's mind-boggling stuff. And we didn't even talk about the effects of disease on North American indigenous peoples, right? And so we're naturally taught to think about disease from our point of view. What can we do to save ourselves, to keep ourselves from getting infected, right? And for good reason. Who wants the coronavirus going around right now? Like, this is serious. Um, and so before reading this book, I had actually never stopped to consider the motives of the germs themselves. Have you ever thought about this stuff? Okay. Like, I'd never thought about this, right? And so microbes evolve like other species. Evolution selects the most effective for reproducing. They helping them to spread to new suitable places to live. And so like I was so excited learning this stuff that I should have probably learned when I was in like middle school. The kids are like, come on, man, that's we learned that stuff in fifth grade. Um, that one morning I was drinking a cup of coffee and I'm telling Katie all about it, who's like a scientist. All right. So she learned this stuff a lot long before I did, evidently, because she was not amused by me talking about how the flu and the common cold purposely induce coughing and sneezing, which we say are symptoms of illness. But to the germ, it's just the mechanism for survival of the fittest. Think about it. Launching this cloud of nasty microbes toward prospective new hosts. So if you're coughing or sneezing, first, we're going to do this. We're not going to do this, because then you're going to shake everybody's hand, right? Uh, we'll do it the right way. Um, but what, what's going on here? These nasty germs in your body, they're just trying to find a home. They're trying to find somewhere to live, right? And like, can we really blame them for that? That's the germs perspective. Now, I can see the looks on people's faces. What in the world are we doing? Um, and how does this relate to the Gospel of Mark? Um, it's a really good question. Thanks for asking. So 
in Judaism up to the first century, right, we find these two general classifications of people, clean and unclean. And the state of being ritually unclean, just like a germ, could be passed on from one person to another. Contact with skin diseases, bodily fluids, coming in contact with the dead, or unclean animals, or unclean food. There is a list a mile long that would pass on, if contact would pass on this contagion to these any unsuspecting victims, right? And so near the beginning of Mark's gospel, what we've seen so far just in the first few chapters of Mark is that Jesus has been pushing on some traditional boundaries. We've been talking about this. He has come into contact with virtually every kind of unclean imaginable. And what I find striking about Mark's Jesus is that despite coming in contact with every kind of unclean, Jesus is never once infected by this contagion, right? As a matter of fact, what we see in Mark's gospel so far up to now is that the exact opposite is what happens. Every single time, the exact opposite thing happens. Jesus is, in fact, the one who's contagious, not the other way around. And so when sick people, when unclean people encounter Jesus, they catch what he is spreading. They're healed. They're made well, made clean, possibly, we'll see at the end, even saved. And so we catch what Jesus is spreading by faith. Let's pray. Almighty God, your Son and Savior, Jesus Christ, is the light of the world. Grant that your people, illumined by your word, may shine with the radiance of Christ's glory, that the world will come to know of your incredible love in Jesus. Amen. Amen. So listen, as these two unclean women come into contact with Jesus and note that Jesus is not the one infected, that these two women will both be made well. This is from Mark 5, 21 to 43. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered round him, and he was by the lake. Then one of the leaders of the local synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So he went with him. And a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians, had spent all that she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, for she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately, her hemorrhage stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it, but the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. 
He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw the commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside, took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, and went where the child was. He took her by the hand and said, Talitha Kum, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. At this, they were overcome with amazement, and he strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. The word of the Lord. Here we have what scholars of Mark call a Markin sandwich. Sounds really scholarly, huh? This made you hungry, and all you're going to think about now is eating lunch instead of what we're talking about. Um, and so what that means is really simple. It's a story being crammed into the middle of another story intentionally. It's like a two-for-one deal, right? And so the idea is to take the two stories and interpret them together and see how they inform one another. And so Jesus and his disciples, they've crossed the Sea of Galilee again. You see Jesus is just going back and forth across the Sea of Galilee. He's crossed from Gentile country where he was last week back into uh, Jewish country. And he's greeted by this huge crowd. And pushing his way through this mob of people is this local uh, ruler of the local synagogue, Jairus. In desperation, he tells Jesus about his dying daughter. I love the image here. Jesus, in the midst of these clamoring masses of people, think about this, they all want something from him. Stopping and entering into the full desperation of this one anguished father, right? And I, I love this about Jesus, that every suffering person is this of inestimable worth to Jesus. A few weeks ago, we even noted that the interruptions are often times the ministry, and so what Jesus does here, again, is what he's constantly doing. He shows himself to be interruptible. He goes with Jairus. The crowd follows. Can you picture Jairus grabbing Jesus by the hand, like dragging him, running as fast as he can, bumping into people, hurrying towards his house where his dying daughter lay? There's not a second to spare. There's no time to waste. Jesus can't stop for anything at this moment. There can be no more interruptions. And what happens? Another interruption. Another woman, a suffering woman, bursts into the middle of Mark's story. And what does Jesus do? He just stops him in his tracks. Like, we're, I'm, I read this. I'm quick to object. I'm like, come on, Jesus. Like, I'm with Jairus. Let's go. You implore Jesus, move on, hurry up. You've got to save this little girl. And in the midst of this life and death situation, when we want Jesus to press on, he stops. He just stops. Because this nameless, Jairus is named, he's powerful. This nameless but suffering woman is making her way through the same crowd trying to get to Jesus. Bumping into everything about this, she's ritually unclean. Every person that she bumps into, she passes along her ritual uncleanness without them even knowing it, right? And Mark describes her condition with this Greek word that means whip 
scourge or torment. Okay, what does this say about her? What it says is that this woman had really suffered. She's really suffering. This is serious. Not only physical suffering, but shame as well. She's suffered at the hands of doctors. She's spent all her money. She's exhausted all her resources. And what has she had to show for it? Nothing. The healthcare system back then was your family. Being deemed unclean not only meant, <laughs> it not only meant you're physically, in this case, sick, she's separated from her community. She's isolated. She would have been a castaway, this untouchable person. And this is what we see from Jesus, right? Think about what life could be like to be unlovable or untouchable. This is what Mark wants us to understand, right? That this isn't a, you know, Mark wants us to understand that her prospects are really very much like this little girl who's dying. This is serious. But this woman hasn't given up hope. She knew that she'd have to be bold in her approach. She's persistent. She's daring. She probably breaks a law or two going through that crowd like that and touching other people because she thought, if only I could touch the edge of his clothes, I could be made well. We have a picture of faith. And so Jesus, this is funny, like Jesus makes a scene. Is anyone surprised? Like, Jesus causes a scene, right? It's weird. We're not used to seeing him do He only does that a couple times. He wants to know, who was it that stole this miracle from me? Jesus didn't offer it. She came and took it, right? It's really unique. And then he has this ridiculous request. She wants to know who it is, right? And this lady, this woman, she could have slipped away. Disappeared in the crowd, but instead she... This, this, to me, this is important today. She stuck around to tell the truth. Have you been hearing people talking about the fact that we're moving into a post-truth society? Does that scare anyone? This woman stays to tell the truth. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Now, of all the things Jesus could have called her, he chose to call her daughter. I, I, just, I picture this woman treasuring this word for the rest of her life. Not only has she been healed of her physical ailment, what Jesus is saying is that she is going to be cured of her isolation. She's going to be a member of the family, a member of community. She's no longer unlovable, untouchable. Jesus restores this in her as well. And notice something, Jesus doesn't catch her contagion. Again, it's the other way around. Coming in contact with Jesus is what makes her well. Now we have a picture of salvation. First, a picture of faith moving into a picture or an image of salvation. At the same time that this woman's hope soars, Jairus's hope is crushed. One person is saved, another person dies. One daughter is healed, while another daughter is lost. Like, the thought of this hurts, especially after last Sunday, right? We were in worship, right here. And immediately following the benediction, we had this really surreal moment. 
Shay ran up to me and said, Kobe Bryant has died in a helicopter crash, which took place just a few miles from where we are gathered right now. This was impossible to believe. TMZ was reporting it. We were questioning, Is this, could this even be true? It's TMZ. Like, do we trust? And we, wanted to, we, we were saying, we're waiting, sitting on our phones, waiting for a notification from a more reputable source, right? It didn't take long um, because the truth was sadly revealed. Nine people on board, including three girls, right? Three daughters, one year older than Jairus' daughter, and six other people. It's been this heartbreaking week for those lost. I have not seen anything quite like this in this city in 40 years. And while Jesus is speaking, Jairus' precious daughter, 12-year-old daughter, she dies. Hope is lost, so they say, why, why bother the teacher anymore? Like in seminary, and then Jesus' response, like in seminary, and I'm going to Scott. Okay, Scott was a seminarian too, uh, right? In seminary, would they have taught Jesus' response as good, like pastoral care? What does Jesus do to this poor guy? He says, like, buck up, come on. What's your problem, right? These are like hardcore realists. They look at this situation, they're not stupid. Like, they know death when they see it. They've closed themselves off to divine possibilities. They've already decided for themselves, the evidence is compelling. His daughter is dead, right? And then we have this moment that, like, makes me shudder every time I read it. And you see it a few places in Scripture. And it says, and they laughed at Jesus, that's a bad idea. (laughs) The laughter and derision is being directly compared to the faith of the woman who's just been healed. While she has faith, others laugh, right? Jesus kicks out the wailers, the laughers, the scoffers. Jesus takes her by the hands, rendering him unclean. Again, Jesus isn't infected, but the opposite is true, okay? To Jesus, clean and unclean just are categorically irrelevant. We just see that he doesn't care about this. As it turns out, Jesus is the one who is contagious because everyone that comes in contact with him, they're the ones that are transformed. They're the ones that are made Well, and somehow we have this one word, faith is the key component. Now, I want to say just two things about this. First is a word of caution, right? Like, I want to be really, really careful that we see two stories, both containing this healing. And I personally find it to be really beautiful. Like, one of the more compelling aspects of Jesus for me is his incredible compassion and mercy that's shown to people that are hurting, This is one of the big things that just draws me to Jesus like a magnet. But what about those not healed, right? And this is important. As advanced as modern science is, as powerful as God is, we just know that not all sickness is cured um, and that holding on to faith is no guarantee of physical healing. Like, my mom's 30-year battle with MS has taught me this, right? And we we all have learned this lesson Um, the hard way. But here's something that I found really interesting, the Greek word in our text for healed. Um, 
is like, or made well, it said, um, is really instructive. It has the connotation of salvation. And I think this is really important. Jesus says your faith has made you well, or could say your faith has saved you. Jesus is the one who is contagious and says that we catch what Jesus is spreading, wellness, by faith in him. The Apostle Paul said it this way in Ephesians. This is a famous thing. He said, for it's by grace that you've been saved, not uh, through faith that is not from yourselves, but rather is a gift from God. I always like this in the Reformed tradition that I come out of. Even faith is a cherished gift of God. It's important. And though, while we, too, could look at the evidence, just like they did, we could look at the evidence, we could say, what you see is what you get, Right? This is all there is to it. We might weigh the evidence, the things that we see around us, and we too might laugh, even laugh at Jesus. Laugh at the possibility of divine healing and wholeness. People might laugh at that when they look at the evidence. Laugh at the possibility of new life and transformation. But to do that would be to discount the millions and millions of transformed lives of people of every walk of life, in every region of the world that have come into contact with Jesus and caught the gift of faith. I remember even as a little kid, people can relate to this, as a little kid, I found Jesus to be really compelling, right? I came into contact with Jesus in the scriptures. I met Jesus in people who were following him. I came in contact with Jesus, particularly in my household through my mother, who's been a great role model for me for what a life lived the way of Jesus, what that looks like. And I caught that gift. That gift of faith was passed on from Jesus to me, coming in contact with him. And so we should do our best to try to avoid catching other people's germs, right? Makes a lot of sense. Nobody enjoys being sick. But I'm struck by the faith of the people in our story. They both sought Jesus out. They both believed that Jesus could make them well, or the Jairus believed that Jesus could make his daughter well. And so when we gather on Sunday mornings here in worship, we're seeking Jesus out. We too believe that Jesus can make us whole, that Jesus can make us well. And we too believe that when we come into contact with Jesus, that will have a transforming effect on our lives in Jesus does not disappoint. And so we meet Jesus in the word. We meet Jesus at the table in a moment that Jennifer is going to help us with. We meet Jesus in each other, in those who follow him. We meet Christ in the poor, in the sick, in the outcasts. And when we come into contact with him, we are the ones who are made well. And to us, Jesus might say something similar to what he's saying in this story. Stop being afraid. Stop being afraid, but go on living by faith. May God grant us the faith that we need for the journey. Will you pray with me? God, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for the way that you come in contact with us through it. We're thankful for your compassion, that there's more than enough of you to go around when we want you to hurry. There's plenty of you to go around. God, we pray for the faith to put one foot in front of the other to make our best decisions for you. 
God, meet us here in this place. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.